Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. We are weak, but he is strong. Hi, I'm Kevin Beltman, your host and recovering burnout pastor, who's here to share with you sermons and songs from friends of mine that I hope will be a blessing to you. Today's message by Ben Johnson is part of a series called Love Like That, about how Jesus was shockingly accessible to anyone who felt undesirable or unwanted. As Christians, we have been called to love like that, as we live a life of love that is approachable and open to the lives of others. At the end of today's podcast, you'll hear a song called Venite, which is based on Psalm 95. I wrote it when I was part of a worship committee at seminary, planning the first non-traditional service for chapel. Psalm 95 is used in liturgical worship services as a song of praise. For now, let's listen to Pastor Ben. Ah, so great to be with you as we continue in this series. We're working through uh, this book written by Dr. Les Parrott called Love Like That. It's a great read. Uh, if you haven't ordered it yet, please do. It's just a great discipleship material to kind of get you into these themes and topics that we're handling in the Word. Obviously, our inspired Word is, sorry, not Dr. Les Parrott, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and that's what we're rooted into this morning as we jump into Luke seven thirty six to 50, looking at the topic of being approachable, being approachable. And we're going to be looking at this story, and we're going to be looking at the approaches of these three people. And every single person in this story has something to teach us, something we can take away with as we want to bring the love of Jesus and really have it be embodied in our life in the way we treat others. I brought this up last week. This is a key discipleship move. All right, you ready? Key discipleship move. If you see Jesus doing it, the expectation is you do it. I know that seems way too simplistic, but here's the deal. There are a lot of people that sort of fall flat on only one side of the coin is where we learn about it and then we're like, cool, I know that. And they equate that with obedience. Like somehow the role as a Christian is just to learn this stuff. I know it. I know where it's at in the Bible or something like that. And then we're cool with it. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But the completion of the word is only completed as we have embodied it and are living it in our life. That the information that comes into our head needs to travel to our heart and then it finds our appendages as we live out the love of Jesus in practical ways in our life. I heard one scholar say, he really, it, it hit me, man. And this was probably like two years ago I read this and it still like resonates on me, is that he feels, especially in the West, in, in our society, that we are over-intellectualized beyond our obedience. What he's saying is, is we have so much information, but a lower threshold of radical obedience to do something with it. Like an example would be this. Man, on your phones, you have every translation of the Bible. 
You know how phenomenal that is? Like people gave their lives so we would have the written word. And we have every translation available in our pockets. Me too. And there are still times I don't read it. It's like having a 24-7 gym across the street. No excuses. But what do you still have to do if you want to get in shape? Probably go. Like that gym could do whatever they want to make it as approachable as can be. And if you don't go, nothing happens. It's the same thing in Christianity. There is an engagement factor of following, truly following. It doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging or it's not going to be hard or it's not going to be uncomfortable. But it means we have to do it. You know, my entire life of playing basketball, I hated wall sits. Like, hated wall sits. Oh, they're so boring and they hurt. Every coach I've had made us do unheard of amounts of wall sits. And we all played great defense. And I was in good shape. Hated wall sits. Why did I do all those wall sits? They were uncomfortable. I didn't like them. They were challenging. Why did I do them? The coach told me to. That's the attitude we have towards Jesus. You don't get to tell him no. Or, mm, I don't feel like it, Jesus. Or, I have other plans. I'm busy. Like, it's just, so I'm taking a pretty extreme sort of level, but following Jesus is an all in thing. And so as we focus in in Luke 7, Jesus is really going to be hitting on a really important truth and, and many things for us to take away this morning, all right? Luke 7, 36 to 50. You got a Bible, make sure you're opened up to it on a device. Pick the translation you want. I'm using ESV. It says in verse 36 that one of the Pharisees, Simon, asked Jesus to come eat with him so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now pause there. Right off the bat, we see the approachability of Jesus, that he accepts a dinner invitation to a Pharisee's home. These, the Pharisees around every corner trying to set traps, trying to figure Jesus out. They haven't been nice. A thorn in his flesh from day one of his ministry. And here comes Simon saying, hey, why don't you come to my house for dinner? And, and, and why would Jesus... Like, no, like, like you've been rude. Like all the time they're being rude. But Jesus, you see the approachability of Jesus, he accepts the dinner invitation. It's like, well, you invited me. I'm coming. Right? So right off the bat, you see the approachability of Jesus accepting the dinner invitation. Right? Now as we get into the story, there's going to be three different people that we're going to focus in on. And the first one is this woman. It says, Jesus took his place at the table, verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city, which is like code for she had been leading a sinful life. We don't know. A lot of people are like, oh, she was a prostitute. Maybe. Could have been a lot of different things. Maybe she was a bank robber. I don't know. She was a woman of the city. But we are told she was a, and sinner, by the way, is a category of people. They were a category of people that were known as sinners, and you did not deal with them. In fact, if a sinner 
touches you, you are now ceremonially unclean and have to go get washed up before you can even come back to the temple. So this woman would not even have been allowed in the house. Right? So as a woman of the city, a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. What do we know about this woman? Man, she's led a hard life. Hard life. She has done what she needed to do to survive in a male, male dominant culture. She had probably been estranged from her family and from society. And at some point, she heard Jesus. Maybe she went to one of his teachings. She heard him. Something happened. But all we know is she knows Jesus is going to be at the party and she's got to be there. I don't even know how she got into the party. But she found her way into the party. And Jesus would have been reclining at the table, which this would have been probably Roman style, like a three-sided table, propped up on your elbow, cushions, eating with your right hand. We won't talk about the left hand. Eating with the right hand. Feet are kicked up. Right? And here comes the woman behind Jesus. And she is so overcome with her thankfulness and her regret, her remorse, her gratitude. All of it's just welling up. And she is just weeping, weeping. So many tears. They're getting on his feet. So she breaks her hair down, which by the way, Busted, like that is a breaking of the rules. This woman in her worship breaks all the rules. All the rules, and it's awesome. I'm a rule breaker, so I'm like, get them, right? She breaks all the rules. She lets her hair down, which is like exposing herself. That's against what the Talmud writes, and wipes Jesus' feet, anoints him with oil. There's this beautiful scene of worship and gratitude, repentance, all of it. Beautiful scene. And the cool part is Jesus allows it and celebrates that it's happening. I mean, come on. How many of you right now, if someone random came into worship while I'm preaching, snuck up behind you, took your shoes off, and started washing your feet, how many of you have been like, yeah, let's just see what happens? <laughs> yeah, right. Ah, what are you doing? Get up. Ah, ah. Right? We don't like the social spectacle. Right? You ever been trying to come into worship with your toddler? You're like, ah, just be quiet. Everyone will look at me. Because we care so deeply what other people think. We're constantly worried what other people think. This woman just cared less. All she knew is I need to worship Jesus. She had to break any rule she had to. She was going to worship Jesus. But not everyone saw it that way. The second person in the story is Simon. Right? And there's a reason I picked this picture. I like the pointing finger. I like the furrowed eyebrow. And I like the guy on the right that's like, ugh. These are the Pharisees. When Simon looks at this woman, all he sees is a theological category. Sinner. He sees the violations of the rules. 
He sees the labels that society has placed on her. Simon categorizes this immediately. Like in his mind, he thinks, man, if this Jesus, who, by the way, he categorizes and labels Jesus, if he really was a prophet, if he really was a teacher, like he doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And he says, if he really was who he says he was, he'd know that this is a sinner touching him. And he'd had nothing to do with it. He's reading this, in, he's telling himself in his mind, which how you know the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, because how does Luke know? In his mind, and Jesus answers that. But here's this man, all he knows is his predefined categories and labels. It's the lazy man's way of getting to know people. Right? To get to know someone takes time and effort. and You might actually care about them. But it's so much easier just to slap a label on their head, categorize them, file them away, and it's often used to dismiss people. Like, yep, got you figured out. Oh yeah, I know. That's why I like his finger. I know you're kind. Yeah, I know about you. Someone get her out of here. See, Simon is blind, spiritually blind. Because the funny part is, is Simon broke a whole bunch of social rules also. He just didn't see it. All he saw was this woman. Now, Jesus, in his approachability, not only does he allow this woman to be doing what she's doing and praises that, he's also now going to address Simon. He loves Simon as much as this woman. He's like, Simon, I need you to see something different than how you're looking at things. So he turns to Simon and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And now the attention falls on Jesus. He says, all right, say it, teacher. And so Jesus gives him a parable. He said a certain money lender had two debtors, two people who owed him money. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them could repay. The money lender canceled the debt of both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who got canceled the larger debt. And he said, yes. You've judged rightly. Then, verse 44, this is key. It says, then Jesus turned towards the woman. Okay, where's the attention going now? All right, you're shooting the movie. Where's the close-up? To the woman. Right? Just like in this. Look how he looks. Right? See, Jesus is showing them to see something different. He says, look at this woman. Simon, I need to, you got to see this, Simon. Stop looking at people through your categories and labels, man. You got to look, look at her. She's a person. She's going through some life experiences here, Simon. Can't you see her? He says, do you see this woman? You're going to judge her, categorize her, label her. Simon, I got something to tell you. When I entered your home, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me a brotherly kiss. Man, 
This society is built on hospitality. In the Middle Eastern culture, hospitality and the value of it is at a premium. To have a guest enter your home and you don't customarily wash their feet, anoint them with oil, give them a kiss. I mean, that is the equivalent of a backhand. It's like, thanks for coming. Right? The old English glove thing. I mean, it's just like, dude, we don't care. Like, so disrespectful. I can't even tell you how disrespectful this is. Jesus says, you, you didn't do any of this, but from the moment I came into this house, she has not ceased to kiss my unwashed feet, to anoint my head with oil, to wipe them with her hair. See, Simon, you got to understand, those who know they've been forgiven much, love much. And those who think they've been forgiven little, love little. Yeah, she sinned a lot. She needs forgiveness, Simon. Love her. Forgive her. Accept her. Like I do. See, in this story, Luke loves the writer of the gospel he was a former slave and he loves to talk about how in the paradigm of Jesus the world gets turned upside down that the lowly become rich and the rich become lowly that the ones in the back of the line get to the front the ones in the front go to the back that people who shouldn't get it do get it and the ones who should get it don't get it And this is a characterized story of the very thing. That you have a Pharisee, a religious leader who should know what Jesus is talking about. And you got a woman of the city engaged in a lifestyle of sin that shouldn't get it who does. And what are they missing? Their approaches. If anyone should be stirred in their worship and love and gratitude and approach Jesus with those things, it should be his people. And sadly, all his people do is beat down and hold back the very people that need to get to Jesus. Luke loves to flip this on its head. And the And the thing that Luke is inviting us into is to look at the story and to ask yourself, where do you place yourself? Are you Simon? Are you the woman? Or are you Jesus? Well, let's talk about him here. Who's Simon? Who's he characterized? Dr. Les Parrott says in the book that Simon was a snob. And the way he defines a snob is a person who believes there's a correlation between your social status and your human worth. That snobs see others as inferior based on beliefs, values, intellect, political leanings, talent, wealth, education, beauty, ethnicity, religion, really just about anything. We all have a little bit of a snob in us. We live in a society that loves to cut lines between people. 
We've made it socially acceptable to differentiate between people based on all kinds of different things. The people your kids should hang out with. The ones you don't want them to hang out with. Where kids should go to school. Where you wouldn't want your kids to school. Grocery stores you go to. Ones you, neighborhoods. Maybe there's ethnicities. Maybe it's people's political leanings. What bumper stickers they have on the car. Who they vote for. What they represent. How they raise their kids. What denomination they're a part of. What religion they're a part of. What sexuality they identify with. We use labels for everything. Everyone loves to walk around and label and categorize, label and categorize. And we learn one thing about somebody and we're like, ha ha, got you figured out. I know. See, we don't even have to meet people. You know it's true. We do it all the time. All of us are Simon. Every one of us. Kids, you do it at school. You know where the lines are drawn. You know why why the love of Jesus was so radical? It's because Jesus obliterated lines. He just cut through lines. And people are like, whoa, what's he doing? He's touching a leper. He's loving this woman. He da-da-da-da-da. And Jesus is like, there's no rules to my love. There's no boundaries to my grace. There's no social boundaries to to what I'm going to accomplish. That's why the Pharisees didn't know what to do with them. They're like, you're breaking our rules. We have rules for what makes us feel important and special. And Jesus is like, well, get over it. I'll tell you who's important and special Everyone, there's one label on everyone's head and that is loved by God and you treat them that way. I made them. You didn't make them, I made them. I'm gonna give my life for them. I bled for them. I died and rose again for them. They are loved by me. Of course they're sinful. So are you. And those who understand how deeply sinful they are love me a lot because they know what I had to go through to forgive them. But there's still people walking around who think it just didn't cost Jesus that much blood for their life. And they prop themselves up on their self-importance by putting other people down. Classic bully. We label them, we categorize them, we cast them off, we dismiss them, not worth my time. And we've made an art of it. Socially acceptable art. Man, just look at social media. Go online. And now people just talk about this stuff freely. And we think we're doing the Lord's work. When all we're doing is disrespecting the name of Jesus that saved our life. Giving a horrible example to the true love of Jesus Christ that allows this to happen. This is your Lord. And Jesus says, I want you to love this way. Anything less. Not acceptable. See, the woman in the story, man, she was a known sinner. 
She knew how horrible she had lived. She'd been beat up by society. And she knew she needed Jesus. She knew she needed his grace. And the thing I love about this story is, again, how little this woman cares about what anyone else thinks. Man, this woman shows us what true worship looks like. Like all in. Like, man, I don't care what anyone else thinks of me, man. I am going to worship Jesus. I am all in. Man, yesterday I tuned in for a bit of the, the, the Hawkeye game. A little painful, but I made it through a little bit. All right, you know, the thing that always blows me away with these, with these games, and you can watch almost any college football game, any NFL game, any sports game, it's just how all in the fans are. And Hawkeye's got some pretty insane fans. Kudos. Insane. The atmosphere. How many of you just love that atmosphere? I saw four of you at the game. We love it, don't we? We love that atmosphere, that all in, grown men, chest painted, blood light, right? You get people losing their minds, the college section freaking out. You got little kids that are like, get on! Right? I mean, just, I, I, I love it. I love that. I'm, but here's the thing that keeps hitting me. Every time I see that stuff, I'm just like, I knew it was in you. Why do we worship our sports teams more than Jesus? Why are we so all in for sports? And it shows. And then the very one who gave his life for us, we give half-hearted sighs and we fall asleep and we're, when I get to it, and we're, well, I don't know, I don't know. Because if, if that Hawkeye game was anything like most churches I've ever, and now listen, I'm not trying to be, I'm the same way. I'm, a, I'm pretty exuberant in worship, but it's hard because you care what people think, or I don't know if my voice is very good, or I don't really know that song, or I don't know that, or whatever, and we have all these reasons for it, and, and I do too, but but something snapped in my own life. I just want to snap in everyone's life when you just honestly don't care. When you look at those fans at the Hawkeye game, they don't care what anyone else thinks. They're going to cheer. They're going to boo. They're going to rally. They're all in. That's that woman. All in. She is going to worship Jesus. Now listen, man, you can worship anywhere. It doesn't have to be here. Go crazy for him in the shower, in the car, at home, whatever. But all I'm saying is, we have something to learn from this woman. Because those who know they've been forgiven much, it shows up in their life because they love much. And those who think they've been forgiven little, it shows up because they love little. And Jesus in this story, whoa, approachable to both, receptive to the woman and to Simon, 
He, he loves Simon but doesn't leave him there. And he loves the woman but doesn't leave her there. He has something to give to both. And the thing that he gives to both of them is himself. He's approachable. They both have access to him. See, I think as we move down that list, you move into the Simon and you ask yourself an honest question. Who am I snobby towards? Who in my life, who in my life have I labeled, I've categorized, just, you know, and you might actually get to know someone and then all your labels and categories are actually true. Then what? Well, Jesus says, well, love them. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. Love those you disagree with. Have civility. Talk to them. There's never a category of dismissal. Because Jesus didn't love you that way. Even while you were sinning against him, he gave his life for you. I'll be fully honest. I am very snobby towards preconceived religious entitlement. Like the entitled people of this world, maybe they're rich and they act like it. Or the people, you know, they come to like, like there was one lady I remember uh, at the grocery store and, and it was slow up front and she didn't know, actually she did know, she saw, there was a woman up there at High V, and she was deaf. And there's a sign that says I'm deaf. And this woman literally got in line and goes, I always pick the slow lines. I don't know what was going on in her life, but I'm telling you right now, it all kinds of sinful snobbery going on in me where I wanted to inconvenience her in every way. I'm like, you need a lesson in humility. Like, how dare you? Go to self-check. Leave that in. Like, oh, it just irks me, man. I'm telling you right now, I'm just, but that's me. That's me. Whiny, entitled, proud, Man, it's hard. Do you know what just convicted me in this story? Jesus loved those three. He gave his teaching to them. He loved them. He didn't want to leave them there. He knew they were designed for bigger, better purposes, and he went there. He went to the party. But maybe you're here today, and and you feel maybe like this woman, just beat up by the world. Sinful, confused, I don't know. And you just need that word of Jesus saying, man, I forgive you, I accept you, come to me. But all of us today, that no matter where we are on the spectrums, the the approach that Jesus is teaching us today is I want you to take my love and you got to go do that. So I'm going to leave you with a, with some verses here. This is Matthew 5, 43-48. Now this is the message translation, so it's a little more of a commentary, but I really like it. Jesus says, You're familiar with the old written law of love your friend and the unwritten companion of hate your enemy, but I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the graceful move of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God 
created selves. This is what God does. He always gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, good and bad, nice and nasty. I mean, if all you do is love the lovable, you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, this is what I'm saying. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others. The way God lives towards you. Oh, come, let's sing unto the Lord a joyful noise. Our rock, the one who saves us all, and He rejoice. We come to Him with words of thanks for all His grace, for all our days to Him we raise our songs of The Lord, our Lord, is a great God, a great King above all gods. All the earth is in His hands, His strength will stand. The sea is His, for He made it, He formed the land. Oh, come, let's worship them, bow down. Let's kneel before our day. Yeah.